Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. The Greatest Generation, that's what you're listening to. And I am one of your hosts, Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. We're getting right to hey. it, aren't we, Ben? You yeah. Just, you just skipped all the, uh, all the frou-frou-ness that we typically begin our show with. I wasn't going to skip it. I was just I was playing with the order, but now but now I feel self conscious about that decision. <laughs> I think our viewers expect and have gotten used to a certain formality with the open, and I'm a little apprehensive about disappointing them. I was going to be perfectly formal. I was just <laughs> going to do it in a different order, Adam. I'm looking at you in the camera, and you're not wearing the the suit that you typically wear when you record this pod, so I know you're being informal. <laughs> yeah, I've upgraded to a white tux. I'm, I'm, it's cruise formal, Adam. It's a different kind of formal, but no less formal. You're not going to be able to w- eat chicken wings wearing that thing, Ben. <laughs> it's a bad idea. I trust myself. The most dangerous wing is often the most delicious. That's how you're going to keep beating them. They keep underestimating you. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, Bruce Willis in Pulp Fiction. Oh, right. Okay. I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad you explained the joke to me. Like, it's like being on Twitter, Ben. Yeah. You, you say something funny, and then someone out of the mist comes out to tell you exactly why. Yeah, they, they either... Repeat your joke with slightly different wording, or just say what the premise of your joke is to you. <laughs> There's a viewer out there that thinks we're talking about them, but I promise we're not. You're doing great out there, random viewer who yeah. plays with us on Twitter. Yeah. I think our viewers really don't fall into that trap as much as almost all other people do. Yeah. Most people are the worst. Not our viewers, yes. though. They're the best. Adam, I did something really weird, which is I watched a bit of the episode we're going to discuss today on the airplane, and I didn't take notes, and then I came back and took notes. <laughs> so I feel like really deeply steeped in this episode. Do you oh, want to wow. get right into it? Yeah, let's do it. This is Season 5, Episode 4, Silicon Avatar. episode starts with a situation that is almost impossibly on the nose for Riker, which is he's overseeing the creation of a new Federation colony and getting the Mac laid down on him, and he is laying the Mac right back down on, uh, on this lady who is the head of, a, uh, of, the, of the colony, I guess. It's a beautiful place to put down roots. Somehow, Riker, you don't strike me as the kind that puts down roots. Yeah, the idea is is Carmen is setting up this planet for population, and she sort of wants Riker to help. It's exciting to find a new world, but the joy comes in making it a home. Building houses, having children. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, she's like, you know, this would be a lot easier if I, uh, if I could shit a baby out in nine or so months. She's uh, she's proposing a little uh, curry for insemination trade-off here. <laughs> yeah. Pretty standard yeah. deal, really. 
It should go very nicely with that bottle of wine I happen to know you brought with you. This is sounding better all the time. And as you know, I provide the most memorable desserts. My favorite part of dinner. I can never remember feeling amorous after curry. <laughs> you know? Like, well, she said a, it's dry, dry curry, so, you know, who even knows what that is? Are they going to dump half of Riker's wine into it to reactivate the curry? It sounds mm. awful. <laughs> unless, Ben, unless they aren't actually talking about curry. Mm. And Riker isn't actually talking about his bottle of wine. <laughs> Oh, man, I wish we knew the answer to that. People who talk in metaphors out of shampoo my crotch. <laughs> Can you explain that joke to me, Adam? Uh, that's, a, that's a movie reference, and uh, when you edit this episode, the clip will come right up. Oh, oh, it will? Yeah. Will I just magically know what movie it is? If you Google search Shampoo My Crotch, <laughs> you'll get a Jack Nicholson scene from a movie called As Good As It Gets. Mm. And probably a little porno, but mostly the Jack Nicholson scene. Okay. So they both sound great. So Riker's doing the meet cute with Carmen... And they're making plans for later. And that that in a cold open is sort of a death sentence, right? You can't yeah. be making plans for later if you want to live through the entire episode. Yeah. No, that's a that's a character coughing a little bit in the second act of a film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the sky darkens and we get instead of like day for night, we get day for blue. Everything gets yeah. sort of a blue cast on it and it gets windy. It seems really hard to do practical wind on a scale like this, because I was looking in the background and some giant trees are shaking. I wonder how they did that. They really must have wheeled out the wind machines big time. I was picturing like guy wires with grips like hauling on them just off off camera. That that makes way more sense. Yeah. But, But it is like, it's very well done. Like all of the effects in this sequence are awesome. Yeah. Will? What is it? It's the crystalline entity, and so they have to run to some caves for cover. And they show people, like, sprinting en masse across fields, and there's, like, trees in the foreground, and the trees just get, like, raised. And uh, that's, like, not an easy comp, you know? This is well into the territory of I don't know how to do that with special effects, where the trees are, are vaporized and smoke is kicked up, and there's people still running behind it. Yeah, and as far as, like, the size of the production goes, they're working with, like, 40 extras. Like, this is a real big shoot. Yep. Commander Riker and a cast of thousands. Yeah. Yeah, and so Riker yells at Data. He's like, we got to get out of here. Where's our best chance to do that? And Data's like, well, there's some caves down the way. That's probably our best shot. So they start evacuating the surface and running toward the caves. Remember those caves a couple episodes ago? Right. (laughs) We still have that set, so let's go to that. Remember that set we occasionally use as a catch-all for, for storytelling? <laughs> that's, th- that's a lot of styrofoam. We're not throwing that away. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, just past the castle. Yeah. So they, uh, 
So they run to the caves, and they're using a strategy for getting all of the people to the caves that I think they probably borrowed from our uh, uh, friend of the show, John Roderick, uh, which is watch your step but keep moving. Yeah. It's a uh, a corollary to keep moving but get out of the way. Right. (laughs) And... um, and it's like it's one of those classic things where there's like a kid that goes down and Riker has to carry the kid, but then an old man goes down and he passes the kid to Data and runs back. But Carmen has run back for the old man and Carmen! They're, they're both cowering in fear on the ground as the as the crystalline entities eat em up Ray passes over them and they are they and the ground below them are replaced by, you know, pillars of salt, essentially. Yeah, it's a real lack of gore, which made me think, like, is it more horrifying that it is so sanitary the way that the crystalline entity eats up all life? Like, it's really clean about it, right? Mm-hmm. It just it just mows everything down and absorbs it. But if Carmen had been shot with the gore gun from... <laughs> <laughs> the Ginger Jesus episode, like, how different would Riker's reaction have been? He's still heartbroken and horrified at what he'd seen. It's so mute, though. He's, yeah. He just sees it, and he has to turn and run, and then, you know... It's almost exp- worse for that, is what I'm saying. Like, it's worse yeah. to just have it be so neutral. Yeah, and it, and then he has to explain what happened to her to the doctor, and uh, she's just like, sorry. <laughs> she's real... <laughs> pretty cold about it herself Riker's like the last one in the cave and they seal up the door behind them with a couple of phasers they they knock the rocks under the doorway which yeah. creates such a good seal that the next concern for them is running out of air Mm-hmm. and also not enough light so they like heat up some of the rocks at the top of the cave which seems like it would make it really unpleasantly warm in there yeah like sauna level warmth <laughs> Yeah, it's true. They they create a ceiling sauna in the cave <laughs> against really anyone's asking for it. They just sort of yeah. do it. Yeah, nobody's like, oh, I you know, I brought some textbooks and I would love a little light to read by. You know, <laughs> my skin hasn't been great lately. What I could really use is some nice heat to just sort of uh, open up my pores. Yeah, and I I want like um like Russian baths level heat, <laughs> and if and, if somebody could whacking the shit out of me with a birch branch, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the uh, the refugees are enjoying sort of a spa day, you could say, inside the <laughs> <Yeah>. caves. This <laughs> is a net win. I mean, outside of Carmen's tragic death, I think yeah. I think everyone's enjoying the circumstance. The entrepreneur is off doing something else, and they start picking up that there's something amiss at the colony, but they, they're too far away to really get a sense of what it is. And because there's no communications with the colony, uh, they decide to step on the gas and get there post-haste. Picard does that weird thing where there is an emergency and he only incrementally increases the speed of the ship. 
I think if Captain Picard had seen what was going on with Riker's hair, he would have gone to warp 9.5 right off the bat. Right. It, it doesn't seem like the crew is hip to what the viewer knows right now, which is yeah. that you can determine uh, the level of danger by how unkempt Riker's haircut is. Yeah. So they're there for like hours and hours and everybody is sweaty and kind of passed out. I, for some reason, the Starfleet people are less affected by how bad the air is down there. Uh, but they're still in rough shape and, uh, and, and, uh, they're like getting worried that they're basically at the end of the amount of time they have with the air in there, but they're not sure if the crystalline entity has moved on or not. And they're getting ready to make the decision about what to do when, uh, Commander, Commander Riker, are you there? Worf has finally found a door that he can figure out how to open. <laughs> yeah, he five, sort Adam. of he sort of incredible hulks his way through the rock pile. And yeah, I was or, thinking uh, like if, man's. Yeah. If the entrance to the cave had been blocked by a real enterprise door, there's no way Worf would have been able to get in there. No way. They would have they would have died in there. Yeah. They do this this joke that is like at this point like a running gag in TNG, which is that Worf is a, a sight for sore eyes. It's like, oh, <laughs> Klingons are so ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that okay? <laughs> I think it it is in keeping with the late motif of no one really likes Worf, or is actually his <laughs> friend. Yeah. They're really mean to him. Yeah, they sure are. So they, uh, Riker and Data step outside the cave for the first time since the attack, and uh, the crystalline entity has turned this planet into Anybody Canyon. Anybody! I was like, if Riker says anybody right now, I will fucking die. Yeah, <laughs> I really dead. wanted it. I wanted it so bad! <laughs> So they decide that this is when uh, they need to start taking the crystalline entity seriously. I mean, <laughs> it's it's raised it's raised one too many colonies at this point. It took a fuck opportunity away from Commander Riker, which may be a bridge too far. Like that's yeah. that's the last draw right there. Yeah, we're not putting up with this any longer. So it's doing a a sort of Borg's amount of damage to these planets. Yeah, and the same kind of damage too, right? Yeah. Well, they uh, they tell Starfleet that that's what they're going to focus their energies on, and Starfleet dispatches uh, a a rare old lady scientist. Right. <laughs> usually get old old white dudes, and this is an old white lady, which we haven't seen since one uh, the talk to Doctor Pulaski uh, back in uh, back in that episode with what's his face with George Baxter in it. Yeah, I feel like, as a viewer, you can't help but be a little bit off-balance by this. You're used to an old white man doctor with a young, attractive lady accompaniment. Not quite <laughs> sure what to do here. If, if I had to characterize this this lady, Kyla Marr, I would say that she's about 50% Dr. Pulaski and 50% Missy Vaughn from Pee-wee's Playhouse. Yeah. 
Would you like to sit on me, Miss Yvonne? Oh, I can't think of anyone I'd rather sit on. <laughs> and uh, she is very quickly uh, identified as being obviously racist toward Data. Yeah. <laughs> like they have this McLaughlin group issue one where they're talking about the strategy for a finding the crystalline entity and b like figuring out how to deal with the fact that it just flies around killing people and data keeps speaking up and she keeps like tugging at her collar and <laughs> you know not wanting to make eye contact with them and stuff Commander data you will accompany the doctor to the surface Yes, sir. If we you don't leave. mind, Captain, I prefer to choose my own team. And in one of the all-time great Troy lines, like another thing in this episode where they wrote the character saying exactly what the character should have been saying the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> she walks up to Captain Picard and goes, I don't think you need an empath to sense that woman's feelings. Yeah, like she accidentally has read the script note as dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And and uh, and Picard's response to her here is pretty interesting. He's basically saying, "Yes, I know that she is clearly racist against Data, but if that's going to if that's going to compromise how she acts on this mission, I need to know that now." So, like, he's aware that she might be totally unhinged, but. I feel like he never really follows up with that. Like, he definitely puts her and Data together at the beginning to test how crazy she is, but then never, like, checks in with Data, you know? And I feel like they could have had that scene, you know? Like, she plays it cool enough for long enough that they could have had a scene where Data goes like, yeah, like, she seemed, like, pretty uncool at first, but now she's she's chill. It's sort of like about team building here, too, right? Kylamar yeah. wants to assemble her dodgeball team of scientists to go study this thing. And mm-hmm. she doesn't want Data on her team. But Picard yeah. is like, actually, Data's the best guy for the job, and you're stuck together, so make it work. So they go mm-hmm. down to the planet surface together, where you get uh, a little bit more of their conflict laid bare. Yeah, it's... <laughs> This is like a fantasy almost, like when somebody says something racist or sexist or whatever, get, getting the opportunity to just kind of like thoroughly debunk the basis for their bigotry. Because Lord betrayed the colonists on Omicron Theta, you believe that I am capable of the same behavior. You are mistaken, Doctor. My programming is distinctly different from Lore's. And uh, she's just trying to she's trying to goad Data by saying all of the horrible things she believes about him. You don't understand. I am accusing you of collaborating with that monster. I do understand. And I am attempting to explain to you it is impossible. And you can't hurt my feelings, so... Sorry. <laughs> it's such a strange position to take. Like, that her interest at this point is to be racist directly at the target of her racism in an effort yeah. to do what exactly? Irritate him? Like, what was her yeah. desired reaction? That's what I didn't understand from this scene. Like, she's needling and needling and needling, and then she sort of blows up at the end. She's like, you you aren't even getting pissed off at me right now. Like, And that's that frustrates her more than anything. Well, yeah, so she's got kind of two... She's got a two-pronged rewenge that she's <laughs> trying to prosecute here. One is that she uh, wants to destroy the crystalline entity because her 
beautiful baby boy was on Omicron Theta when it was destroyed, which is where they, which is where data comes from. She also wants data to be held to account for what Lore did uh, to lure the crystalline entity to that planet. She thinks that data and Lore are identical and should be uh, deactivated. She's very open to about threatening data with de- disassembling him, which is another thing that like we've had a million episodes about how data has all the rights of anybody else. So threatening him with disassembly is a totally empty threat. It's weird to think that, that racism is, can also be micro racism, like racism (laughs) against only two things, right? The only two of a certain kind that there are like, that's also racism, right? Yeah. Or is it not? Is it just not liking a, a type of thing like at what point does it become capital R racism versus just a preference or a a reticence to work with a kind of thing that also killed a family member yeah i don't know i mean one of the kind of baffling things about racism is that race has no basis in science but racism is still a problem like right you know you wish you wish that it having no no logical underpinning would be enough to take its fangs away, but it doesn't. Yeah. My, my love is a creep of longing still for that which longer nurses the disease. But yeah, so Data kind of fact checks the racism. And over the course of the episode, Mar kind of turns around on Data because she discovers that he is... Uh, chock full of journal entries from her uh, her son, who was like 16 years old when he was killed. And she had been away for years and years doing her science. So she, you know, she as a mother feels like it's somehow her fault that he was killed and that the only way that she can make things right is by uh, devoting you know, throwing herself into the project of exacting revenge on the crystalline entity. What does it mean? It means Omerta. It means Rewenge. At this point, you start to perceive some Pamela Voorhees vibes from her. Oh, what monster could have done this? <laughs> her, her obsession becomes a little strange. Like, and not just this, not just the brand of obsession that comes from great emotional loss like that anyone would feel you know through the death of a family member there's sort of a a tinge of unhingedness to her that's starting to play out and she becomes the hub of a tension wheel that uh, draws a line between her and data for her there's like the tension between her robot racism and her desire to reconnect with her dead son through the logs that live inside him but there's also yeah. sort of a tension between her and Picard, who has expressed the idea of communicating with the crystalline entity instead of destroying it. And this is what I'm going to call the Burke problem, right? Picard wants to be Burke from Aliens. This is clearly, clearly an important species we're dealing with. And I don't think that you or I or anybody has the right to arbitrarily exterminate them. Come on. He wants mm-hmm. to somehow work with the crystalline entity and... And Kyla Mar wants to be Ripley. She, like, she wants to destroy it. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. Not to study, 
to destroy. Yeah. This installation has a substantial dollar value attached to it. They can bill me. Yeah, like this is the scene where Picard would say, like, all right, lady, like, you've had your fun, but uh, you're not you're not on this project anymore because like they're they're like halfway through discussing the fact that they've figured out a way to find the crystalline entity and she's like oh and here's the programming you're going to need to do on the photon torpedoes to obliterate it and Picard is like wait a second <laughs> yeah <laughs> we should talk about the the scene where they figure out how to track the entity which is uh they're all down in Shimoda corner data Jordy and uh Kylo Mar and data's like hey have you uh thought about looking into the gamma radiation signature of this thing and she's like no why would you do that <laughs> frankly i just don't see what that would get us and uh before she's even done talking about what a dumb idea it is data and jordy have run the scan and discovered that it's a great way to figure mm-hmm. out where the crystalline entity is yeah so we know the entity leaves anti-protons behind if it also deposits anti-protons in space as it travels can we detect them Sure, we can set the ship's lateral sensors for gamma radiation. Well, let's get to it, shall we? It just really, like, undercuts her authority as a scientist because it's like, oh, these two guys that haven't devoted their lives to this came up with the the linchpin of crystalline entity studies while you were talking about how irrelevant of an idea it was. So, Her hate clouds her scientific judgment. Yeah, I mean, either that or Jordy and Data are just way better at science than she is. Could be. She's a gamma radiation denier is what she is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Then why is it so cold in Shimoda Corner, Kyla Mar? (laughs) She is not the only one that wants to pursue revenge, though, right? Like... Riker is definitely interested in treating that as a as a viable option. Hey, maybe you haven't been keeping up on current events, but we just got our asses kicked, pal. I felt I felt like that was kind of yucky, you know. Yeah, there's a scene where Riker meets Picard in the ready room, and Picard's like, "Look, we got to gather Carmen's things and send them back to her family." And I know you guys were close, so maybe you'd want to include a letter in that package. And Riker yeah. is fucking pissed at Picard for for barely insinuating that they wouldn't just destroy this thing. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a raw cadet. I've lost people on missions before. If we take time to try to communicate with this thing, we may lose our chance to destroy it. It's real weird, right? It's a, It seems off character. Yeah, it felt really strange to see him, like, just dripping with hatred for his commanding officer like that. You never see that. Yeah, it's uh, not something that would have ever happened in like the first three seasons of this show. Yeah. And still feels weird even now. And um, I don't know. I mean, it also just doesn't add up, you know? Like, I'm sure Riker is feeling bad about this lady buying the farm and feeling bad about the sex that he's missing out on uh, as a secondary consideration, but like he's he is not he's not that guy, you know. Yeah, he's, he's not like saddle up and go get blood, you know. He's not an eye for an eye type of character. 
like Worf, maybe that would make sense from, but not Riker. Yeah, and not only that, but like Picard and Riker are very close. This doesn't seem yeah. like enough of a reason for Riker to hate him the way that he does in this scene. Yeah, <laughs> real, real weird. Yeah, really, really weird. Yeah. Well, the uh, the episode gets uh, gets pretty tense when they have like a radio com with the next victim of the crystalline entity. It's like some alien transport ship, and uh, and they're they're listening to the captain of that ship yell terrifying things into the radio as the crystalline entity eats them alive. A lot of event horizon callbacks this season. Yeah. A lot of AM radio static. <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of Latin being <laughs> sinisterly read into the radio. Yeah. A lot of eyeballs being held in the palms of hands. <laughs> Yeah. What do you? What? 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 What else would you do with eyeballs? Not use them. <laughs> Certainly not. I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. I am the cutest of all. You are all. This is a good reason for Picard to increase the speed of the ship. <laughs> yeah. Once again, Picard has <laughs> has has found reason to uh, step on the pedal a little bit harder. Uh, Picard's the sort this... of driver that just stays in the left lane with his starship, like. Going going slower than the rest of traffic. Left lane's a yeah, passing he, lane, Picard. He's, he's going at a sensible 63 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I drive around uh, around your neck of the woods, Adam, that is, uh, that is something that drives me absolutely crazy, is how many left lane drivers are not using passing speed. Worst drivers in America, Seattle, Washington. Yeah. That's what I think. I mean, it's complicated because there's so many left freeway exits. Like, you know, like the exits are often on the left side. So it yeah. does kind of throw the passing lane math into a little bit of confusion. But uh, yeah, like that drive between Portland and Seattle, it can be very frustrating. It's mostly Priuses. So I understand the the lack of a lot of get up and go there. But it's, it's no excuse. Like you can still do a lane change in a Prius. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that car maxes out at 70, 72 miles an hour. Yeah, real comfortable. <laughs> In transit, the doctor is becoming more and more intimate with data in the sense that she's uh, she's fishing for these logs. Like, she wants, yeah. she wants to get to know her son through data, and she's willing to look past the idea of her racism in order to... In, in order to get a read on these journals, in order to turn data into a sort of real doll with like lifelike son voice action, and this is the thing that I feel like Kevin Uxbridge. Kyle Marsh, I have created something that I think you are really going to enjoy. <laughs> My normal work is much closer to the kink end of the spectrum, but I think this is. Almost a kink in and of itself. <laughs> I feel like this is even a bridge too far for Kevin. Kevin doesn't want to put voices in his real dolls, does he? This yeah, is, this it's is... like one of those. It's like one of those uh, reality shows where they make like um, 
they make like doomsday bunkers for people and they have the consultation ahead of time about like what doomsday scenario are you particularly afraid of yeah and the person's like well i live uh you know four and a half miles from a nuclear power plant so i'd like it to be radiation hardened yeah "Uh uh uh-huh and they're like writing it down like kevin would be like i realize i do something that is pretty strange (laughs) but i try not to take advantage of people who are clearly mad I'm a man of special conscience. (laughs) The only other real doll I've made with a lifelike voice was my wife was (laughs) Sean. Usually they have a little bit more Siri to them. (laughs) So what you get is Data talking in Kylamar's son's voice as a sort of puppet. In a couple of weeks, a bunch of us are going on an archaeological dig in the mountains. The Wallaces said it would be all right as long as we had uh, adult supervision. So don't worry, Mom. And I think that she has a great scene when they talk on the radio with the other ship that's getting attacked. Like, you can really see her break in that scene. That's the moment. And from then on in, like, the closer they get to this confrontation, the more she is going into the heart of darkness and the less she has her right mind, yeah. you know, the less she has access to her right mind. She is, and and hearing her son's voice uh, just, just fans the flames of whatever's going on with her. So they finally get to wherever in space the crystalline entity is. I guess they're like trying to stop it before it gets to another inhabited star system. And they've come up with this idea that if they do some graviton pulses they'll be able to get its attention and attempt communication which is you know picard's goal is you know let's see if we can talk to this thing and see if we can explain to it in the same way that those uh those little shimmering lights from the bottom of the hole in that terraforming planet explain to us hey we're alive stop eating us stop destroying (laughs) our our environment you know yeah they're sending out pings in the form of these Mm -hmm. pulses. Emissions now at 30 pulses per second. Captain, I'm reading a transmission from the entity, a series of graviton pulses. It's working. That's a response to our signal. And it's starting to work. Right. But Kyla has has different ideas about uh, what they're there to do. And she has, like, I guess programmed a little situation ahead of time where she can set the set the resonance pulses going to where it'll start a resonance wave within the crystalline entity and uh, it, it starts to express discomfort to them. All graviton pulses from the entity have stopped. Maybe it doesn't like what we're doing. And everybody on the bridge is like, whoa, whoa, wait, maybe we should stop this. Doctor, return to the intermittent signal. And she's just in like a fugue state at this point. And everybody's like, uh, okay, well, we'll turn off your computer for you. She has locked them out of the controls and they can't move fast enough to turn the thing off before it explodifies the crystalline entity. Yeah. Pretty intense end to uh, the crystalline entity's reign of terror. Yeah, it shatters sort of beautifully too, like a like a ballroom chandelier. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, in the aftermath, Kyla Mara is sort of like her hands have like grabbed onto Data's shirt sleeve. Like, yeah, that was a, a great bit of business. Yeah, she's sort of locked onto Data in yeah. in in the aftermath of her full breakdown. Yeah, this is her like you know, like her motherly attachment to the thing that she perceives inside Data as being her son, you know, resurrected. Yeah. And uh, it's it seems like maybe she's also a little bit confused about whether she is talking to Data or her son. Mm-hmm. Picard is just fucking disgusted with her. Mr. Wolf, you escort the doctor to her quarters. Yes, sir. So is Riker in a weird way. Like, Riker, yeah. moments ago, was ready to destroy the thing, but because it happened not on his terms, because because there was an opportunity at communication, it seems like he turned the corner in a nonverbal yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Picard is like, get her out of here, Worf. Book him, Dano. <laughs> and Data's like, well, uh, you know. Well, she is grabbing my sleeve. I might as well take yeah. her. Yeah. Yeah. And uh he takes her down to down to her stateroom and uh and in like one of the coldest things he's done since he broke up with Canadian cute, <laughs> he explains to this very damaged woman how the son that you know in whose memory she just did this would have been disgusted with her actions yeah and it's cold as ice and it's sort of a double heartbreak like yeah she sort of she sort of comes out of her fugue state enough to recognize that before diving back in it's pretty Mm -hmm. awful she just commits career suicide it's one of the saddest endings to any episodes. Yeah. I think it's interesting that Kyla Mar murdered something in front of everyone, and then she gets to go back to recorders. Is that fair? Yeah. Well, I mean... Or do they know she's had a mental breakdown, and that's why they're not going to throw her in prison? Because you should never throw mentally unstable people in prison. That's not going to reform them. Yeah. I don't think that they have any concern that she's going to do any other murdering. Like, she had pretty single-minded agenda with her murder. Her murder is a lot like her robot prejudice or her racism in that it's very micro-murder and (laughs) micro-racism. Yeah. Um, who Who are those kids that killed their parents in, like, the 90s? Are you talking about the Menendez brothers? Yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's like that where it's like, like nobody thinks that the Menendez brothers are going to kill somebody else. Yeah. Like their beef was with, with two people and they got their man. Yeah. You know? What were those guys' names? Kyle and Lyle? (laughs) I'm sure it was something like that. Kurt and Dean Menendez. Derek and Jared Menendez. (laughs) Uh, let's see, Lyle and Eric. Lyle and Eric. Yeah, Lyle and Eric Soong. <laughs> did you like this episode, Ben? I did. It's a it's a sad and weird episode, but I loved 
seeing Riker lay the Mac down on a lady in a way that wasn't like the stars are not never going to be as beautiful as your eyes type <laughs> schmoozing. Um, I liked the, you know, the villain here is mental illness un- mm-hmm. unrecognized and Kylo Mar is such an interesting character. And I think that um, it's another, you know, example, it's a, it's an example of an episode where, there are characters doing things that are very uncharacteristic of the world that Star Trek The Next Generation has built. And it's fun to see how people who are not used to this kind of behavior react to it. Yeah. It's interesting that this, the future is not a post-vengeance world. Yeah. To a certain degree, that will always exist. Yeah. Uh, how about yourself? Did you like it? Yeah, I did like it. It was it was interestingly moody. It was punctuated yeah. by some strange scenes, like that scene between Riker and Picard. You don't get a conclusion to that. Like you never see Riker soften his hatred, his real hate <laughs> for Picard. Yeah. All you see is his expression in the aftermath of the crystalline entity's death. Right. But you get that, you get that ending with Kyle Lamar. It was a real dark button. Yeah. Nice dark button. Mm. Contrasty button. Yeah. Well, Adam, uh, do you want to check in and see if we have any Priority One messages? Yeah, we should. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Couple of priority one messages, aka jumbotrons. Here, Adam. First one is from Uncle Jerry, and it's to James Boone. Happy birthday to the best work trip roommate ever. I'd also like to thank you for the drunk Shimoda shirt and getting me hooked on the Greatest Generation. You sure are a great dude. Wow. <laughs> cool. Sometimes you get a roommate that just introduces you to all sorts of things. Yeah. Good draw. That is for Jerry. That is a that's a great draw. And and uh James sounds like a real class act buying uh buying his buddy a greatest generation t shirt. This is a very generous coworker. This is a super generous coworker. I I feel like we're beneficiaries of his generosity and also his coworker is. This is great. I have no qualifications to apply to reading out a Jumbotron for this nice, nice dude. Ben, I'd like to turn to camera for a moment and address <laughs> Uncle Jerry and James Boone's bosses, if I could. Mm. Hey, uh, Uncle Jerry and James Boone's bosses, what are you doing saving a couple bucks by sticking your employees into the same hotel room on a work trip? Yeah, that's What's no up good. with that, man? Yeah. I think on a work trip it's important to have your own space. Yeah, and especially with a team... Like you, like having a good team as a business owner is worth its weight in gold. And this is a team that has already shown the solidarity of buying a novelty T-shirt from a podcast <laughs> for each other. Yeah. So, so like you know, treat them right. I'll tell you one thing: 
whoever this boss is is really lucky that Uncle Jerry and James Boone are as close friends as they are. Can yeah. you imagine if uh, James Boone weren't a viewer of our show? Yeah. Uncle Jerry ends up rooming that guy on a work trip? <laughs> be awful. Yeah, that'd be no good. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uncles, Adam, our next Priority One message is also from one. <laughs> Do you want to read it? Oh, well, uh, this one is from Uncle Donald. And it's for Dane McGee. Here's the thing, Ben. I don't know if I could do this one because this one asks specifically for the Picosby voice. Well, you, you do that as much as I do. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. If you want me to do it, I'll do it. But I really would. I feel like my Cosby's <laughs> terrible compared to yours. <laughs> All right. Parenthetically, it says Picosby voice, please. Hope your birthday is filled with a many drunk Shimoda moments, Rudy. And lots of silk scarves to pay for it all. Theo, happy birthday. I'm your father. <laughs> Putin. <laughs> See, you added the best part of that, Adam. Don't sell I, yourself short. I added the pudding button. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the title of this episode? Yeah. <laughs> it's never come out of a priority one before. <laughs> You don't have to be an uncle to uh, purchase a Priority One message. All you have to do is go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where you can find either the personal or professional option of messaging. Uh, personal messages are $100, business messages for two, and they help us produce our fine program. They sure do. Thanks, thanks to, to everybody. Thanks to all Thanks to all uncles everywhere. <laughs> See, I snuck one in on you. Oh, good times. Darmok, Angelad, and Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. 
Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey Ben, did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did. Adam, uh, I cannot help, based on the way the scene in question unfolds, than think this was entirely intentional on the part of the filmmakers. In the scene where Riker and uh, and Carmen are negotiating their uh, soon-to-come sexual encounter, uh, they're they're having this chat, and it's just shot reverse shot. You know, it's it's. Uh, nice medium shots of each one of them. And then mm-hmm. uh, Data and the Doctor walk up, and it cuts to a wide shot, and Riker is standing at an angle to the camera with his phaser at, a, at such an angle that it is very evocative of a huge erection. <laughs> if, if, you, uh, if you scrub to a minute and 59 seconds in this episode, uh, you will see what can only be mise-en-scene that is designed to evoke (laughs) a Riker boner. And that is just such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, And I actually had a runner-up, but I'll I'll let you you tell me your drunk Shimoda, assuming you have one, before I reveal that. Riker's dustbuster is not for cleaning up messes, it's for making them. (laughs) My... Shimoda is within this very same scene, but I heard you characterize the flirtation between Carmen and Riker as being pretty solid. I don't know, man. I think Riker's done a lot better as a flirt, and I felt like this was sort of like store brand flirtation out of Riker really? that, that uh, I don't know. It felt like Carmen was carrying more of of the flirtation weight than Riker. Oh, yeah. She's definitely the one that's laying the Mac down. Yeah, and I dug that quite a bit. It felt to me like Riker was... Riker was a little 
off balance and and sort of struggling to hit the flirtation ball back at her in a real fun, <laughs> interesting way. Like you don't often see that out of him because he's a black belt. Yeah. So I'm I'm definitely giving my Shimoda to Riker for this scene. Like he's clearly having a ton of fun. Uh Dustbuster Boner notwithstanding. <laughs> yeah, I just I choose to believe that Riker is so good that he is able to modulate his skizzles of of a uh, of a coxman to to fit the scenario and if somebody is kicking it to him he is he's good for that yeah it's sort of a flirtation aikido mm-hmm. or or like that that bruce lee cone about uh, how water is the strongest thing because it flows <laughs> over and through <laughs> rocks and the water in the teapot is actually the strongest thing so he extols yeah. you to be a teapot that's yeah. that's what Riker's like water, doing my, my friend yeah Riker's the teapot in this scene a teapot of flirtation <laughs> yeah he wants he, he wants he wants Carmen to fill him up <laughs> yeah so you want to hear my my runner up I do there's that scene in the uh, styrofoam cave with Dr. Kyla Mar and uh, and Data, she's uh, clearly very distracted with trying to goad him, <laughs> because uh, the camera cuts away briefly and cuts back, and her tricorder is upside down. <laughs> she is uh, she's scanning the wall with an upside down tricorder, which I thought was really fun. I had that moment in my notes. I just didn't have an opportunity to bring it up, but yeah, I totally spotted that. What is she doing? <laughs> You dope. <laughs> Why didn't a, anybody on set go, uh, no, that's not how those are are held? I'm uh, I'm detecting a sizable quantity of senior strength vitamins in this area. <laughs> <laughs> this rock outcrop appears to have scoliosis. <laughs> this cave has had a hip replacement recently. <laughs> These jagged rocks uh, appear to need an early bedtime, Commander. <laughs> oh, boy. That's fun. fun what times. do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is uh, season five, episode five, Disaster. The lives of the crew are in Troy's hands when a natural disaster forces her to take over as captain of the seriously damaged entrepreneur. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Ben, when there is when that when when something has happened to the ship that is imperiling the lives of the entire crew and you place mm-hmm. a woman in charge, what do you call that episode? <laughs> Uh, penitence could, on behalf of the writing staff. <laughs> yeah, you could only ever call it disaster, couldn't you? God damn it, guys. <laughs> well, I do remember this episode. We go spelunking in turbo lift shafts. Yeah. Do you? Uh, are, do Do you feel strongly enough about uh, your disgust here that you want to invoke your veto, Adam? Now I'm ready to see it. I'm mentally and emotionally prepared to see it. Okay, let's see it. Fine. Adam, uh, one thing we have to do here at the end of the episode is encourage people to connect with us on tweeters <laughs> using the hashtag greatestgen. Uh, I am on there as at Benjamin R.H.R. And Adam, of course, is 
one of the funniest tweeters around at Cut for Time. Uh, we've also got great and lively Facebook community and a great and lively Reddit community, if you can believe it. Um, those are uh, those are both pretty easy to find. Um, just look for Greatest Generation. Um, and uh, what else is there? We should thank Dark Materia for our music and Adam Ragusia for our other music. Thanks, guys. And I think that's about it. Yeah, I think you've done a great job doing the full conclusion to our show, Ben. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and a disastrous episode of The Greatest Generation. You could call them all a disastrous episode, Ben. (laughs) Yeah, that's not very specific, is it? Yeah. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.